32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. You see, we nearly got it in sync there, but because we are recording remotely from each other, it's going to be a little difficult. Oh, but cute. <laughs> I think we did we did quite well. Now, um, tell us about what's going to be happening over the next few weeks, Andrea. Well, every week we normally take a county, dive into an issue that's relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. But obviously everything has changed, so we're changing. Um, And for the foreseeable, um, we're going to be dealing with an issue and the repercussions from it um, that's relevant to every single person in the 32 counties. And that issue is obviously COVID-19. Um, Over the next while, we're going to be discussing the global pandemic in our own way. We are not going to be bombarding you with figures and, you know, daily live updates and details of all the data and the graphs and all that kind of stuff. We know that a lot of people are glued to the news and to live blogs and social media, finding all of that out. And to be quite honest, um, it's quite overwhelming. You know, last week we brought you an episode about coping at a time when everyone's head is spinning. And the week before that, um, Andre was looking at another pandemic, that of HIV and what lessons we can learn from that. And so you can probably guess already if you're a listener to this uh, podcast or if you listen to Don't Stop Repealing that we do approach things in a bit of a different way. So what we're going to be doing is is kind of a broader uh, picture that we hope will be a bit more helpful and maybe even a bit holistic with regards to how people are coping through this absolutely extraordinary period in our world's history. Andrea. This week, we're talking about the role of behavioural science in addressing this pandemic. I am a student, a former student of psychology, so I am absolutely sweating for this episode. Um, We're hoping that during this time, um, and we don't know how long that's going to be, in fairness, United Ireland will be a little port in the storm for our listeners. Obviously, we won't be able to do anything without the support of our Patreon pals. Um, and now even more so that is coming sharper into focus of how much we do need the support. Obviously, everyone is in a very similar boat um, and we we have an uncertainty ahead of us. Um, so it kind of feels scabby to ask people to support us. But if you can, that three euro per month would be very um, valuable to us right now. So um, every week we're going to be checking in with regards to the state of the nation, but not, as we said, uh, with all the data and and numbers and all that kind of stuff that are being uh, read out on the news. But I suppose the broader psychological state of the nation, we have moved um, to a different kind of psychological place, I suppose, uh, between uh, this time last week and this time this week. And I'm sure you're all noticing that time is just warping in this really weird way that you know, days for me last week were just lasting weeks and months almost, it felt like. And that kind of initial phase of this very, very frenetic heightened energy, um, which certainly pushed me and probably I think a lot of people feel the same towards like really being in contact with everyone, having all these Zoom calls, uh, you know, catching up, being social in a in the in a virtual way um you know checking in with everyone all the time and getting all your shopping in and all that kind of stuff and it kind of feels now um because of the i suppose the the gravity of the situation or yet we're still in this um 
lull phase, I suppose, um, that I, I'm feeling a bit of a slump this week. Like, I think I'm kind of quite <laughs> a little bit down, I think, just because one of the, the really kind of scary things is that the lockdown, the self-isolation, you know, begins to become kind of normalized and um I just don't want something so bizarre to become normalized, but there's nothing you can do from yourself adapting because that's what we do. You know, as humans, we just adapt instantly. And that's why we're talking about behavioral science today. Um, but uh, yeah, I think everybody is, is you know, Ireland technically is not in this extreme lockdown that other countries are in, but we are kind of in an effective one, uh, even though, you know, different kind of shops and stuff like that are still open. Um, how are you feeling this week, Andrea? This week, I am feeling a lot calmer. I think I, last week was so, so overwhelming and I deal, I go into trauma um, that, and it's funny that I don't think I usually do, but I go into this trauma thing where I just have to sleep all the time. And that's just my body is so overwhelmed with feelings that I just have to sleep through it. And I'm so grateful that that's how my anxiety, I suppose, comes to the fore, um, as opposed to having to live through anxious feelings. I just sleep um, typical lazy Libra. Um, but this week, I feel like I've I'm not religious in any way. I suppose I would be quite spiritual, but I just keep going back to the serenity prayer of grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and honing in on that and realizing that what is happening is completely out of my control. Me being, um, having these anxious feelings is not going to make it worse. I can just do what I'm able to do to make this situation better. And that is staying in, minimizing the spread and helping the people who are doing their best to stop this. Um, and then I suppose trying to be in a schedule that's as close to my real life as possible. And we had a discussion about how you don't want to normalize what's happening. And like I've spoken to loads of people of how I'm so fascinated by how we adapt to situations so fast, like literally overnight, we, we become that this becomes our new normal in our minds. And it's so like, and that's this behavioral science is so interesting how that happens so fast. But I am, uh, I'm trying to embrace the new normal um, because that's all we have. And until we go back to another sort of normal or not even go back, go forward to something different um, and then we'll adapt again. And I think, especially when it was related to my business, I was kind of like questioning everything I did in the past of whether the decisions I'd made that had been morally right for me. I was like, now that we're in a, a crisis, should I have done different things differently so that we were more... Um, cushioned in such a crisis like this and then I was like you can't live your life waiting for the bad to happen you just have to take each day and put the most positivity into it that you can and then wait for not wait for the next day but then start your next day with a fresh start and just approach each day as it comes that's I think I that's a great I think that's a great attitude that's way better than my um, just general kind of blind panic. Although I have been um, quite zen at times. I think I was more zen last week when I had a more frenetic energy than I am this week when I'm just kind of slumpy. But look, we're going to be going through so many uh, 
emotions, like such a massive variety of emotions, a huge spectrum all the time, sometimes within the same hour. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's okay. And we just, I, you know, as I was saying last week, you know, the important thing is to just feel everything, uh, within reason. And, uh, um, to just try and, and get and basically traverse through it that way. But and also, like, I feel that we're all connecting more to our emotional selves at the moment. And instead of just, I don't have time to deal with this emotion because I have to go to wherever the lot, what do you do on a daily basis? Go and get coffee, whatever. You're actually like left to actually really connect with yourself. Yeah. It's funny. I was doing, um, I was speaking to uh, our friend of the pod, Connor Habib. He's doing these uh, really great evening kind of virus sermons, he's calling them, via his Patreon at at, uh, six o'clock every evening. And I was talking to him on one of those on Monday, I think. And um, one of the, the things that I was talking about was how how you act in a crisis and how you respond in an emergency and how that doesn't, you know, you don't invent new feelings or emotions straight away. Like you tend to respond in a very kind of bare way of how you cope normally and how you act normally. And certainly like looking at social media or hearing from different people or or actually other people saying this to me as well, like certain people getting having opinions about how others are acting or, you know, um, in my pet peeve of this whole thing. Yeah. And I think, but I think it's like, you know, what I was saying to Connor about this is if you are like, if you find it very hard to really kind of emotionally connect with something or generally, you know, or if you practice avoidance or whatever, like you are going to be responding to this maybe in a more lighthearted way or like tweeting trivial stuff or things like that. You know, if you're, if people are like... Which is okay as well. like Which is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you are, you know, somebody who generally like gets, you know, reaches for conflict as a first option in coping, like you are going to be feeling more confrontational or more angry and all those kind of things. So it's kind of like an amplified way. How you respond now is kind of a very revealing way of how you cope generally. So I think we can actually learn a lot about ourselves in this moment. You know, why are we responding in certain ways and how, what is good and maybe needs work? But also I think um, after reading um, the document that we'll be talking about today um, from the behavioral science, we need all of those ways of response to make a crisis work. So um, if you need people to, I suppose, frown on other people's actions for then people to take more responsibility for their own actions and the way people will respond, will they'll only respond if loads of people are doing it. So you kind of need all the w- different ways of reacting to kind of play into each other. Mm, Defo. So let's go to our first new weekly episode feature. It's the Corona Correction. So we're going to be talking every week about this thing that we're calling the Corona Correction. In a time of worry, illness, tragedy, global global uncertainty, there are also positive things happening. Um, In a time of crisis, uh, as much as we get exposed and our emotions get exposed, systems also get exposed and corrections begin to happen to remedy the flaws and faults in those systems. 
COVID-19 is instigating some of those things. Uh, And in discussing this, we're not minimizing any of the suffering that's going on. We're all experiencing a dark time. All of us have, um, you know, friends, family, broader social circles who are experiencing things in different ways as well. But there are also shafts of light in this moment. Um, You know, you know, Fine Gael introducing socialism is certainly a twist uh, that I didn't think we saw we saw coming. Um, but so there's different, uh, you know, little quirks, I suppose, of our systems failing and then the emergency mem- uh, measures being plugged into them to try and help them, as well as loads of weird knock-on effects that we're calling uh, the corona correction. So th- this week, Andre, what do you think the corona correction is throwing up? Well, top of the list, Una is definitely the nationalizing of the health service, which um, we've been told so many times that it wasn't possible. But now all of a sudden we have a single tier health service that provides health care for people who need it, no matter of their financial standing. What a wild idea. Indeed. <laughs> also related to the health service, um, what has been the kind of the response to the, the I suppose, a culture of volunteerism that seems to be really boosted at this stage? Everyone just wants to do what they can. Well, most people. Um, the HSC had the Beyond Call for Ireland call out and 60,000 people signed up to that. So it was calling for people to come back from retirement or if they had skills. So you see um, people who've been trained to do Botox are signing up to help with because they've got like training in how to administer um, needles etc which is absolutely I, I just think it's so gorge to see everyone just stepping up to the plate and giving what they can and doing what they can you've loads of beauty salons actually who are get, donating all their face masks and um, gloves that are used for treatments um, and all across the sectors of like cafes as well and restaurants so everyone's kind of coming together to give what they can to the health service, even to the point where fashion designers have started um, making masks now. They've kind of moved away from their fashion and are sewing up face masks. One thing we've also seen is um, the basically the kind of the dumping of, of former Airbnb properties onto the market, which is driving rent down in Dublin, um, which is a massive kind of correction. And obviously, as you know, we're going to be talking to somebody from the ERSI, hopefully, and, uh, you know, they're kind of projecting now that Ireland will enter a recession at some stage um, and and part of that will all kind of come into this massive issue that we've been talking about around the cost of rent, uh, which will be falling and is falling right now. Um, There's also been loads of, uh, we'll get into that Airbnb. um, There's so much to unravel with that Airbnb. Yeah, the weird kind of freakonomics of it. We'll get into that in a later episode, but there's also loads of community and business initiatives happening. Um, You've got a rundown of some of those, Andrea. Uh, The first one that was really the main one that started was the Feed Our Heroes where people donated to bring to A, support restaurants that were going to be struggling um, because there wasn't going to be as many people obviously in them, um, but also bringing food to the frontline staff. So you were kind of getting a double whammy of donate to this they'll use that money to buy food from restaurants who are struggling and bring it to frontline heroes. So that was um, amazing. And you've had loads of local then ones start around that happen as well. So Coke Lane Pizza and the Circular are delivering pizzas every night to James's. 
Um, another thing is O'Neill's factory has started manufacturing uh, protective wear or the official name of PPE um, for frontline staff. Um, so their first delivery is going to be going to a hospital in Derry this week, I think. Um, and on post are their delivery teams. A, they're sending postcards to us all um, to send to friends. And I think that's such a lovely idea because the joy of getting something real and tangible um, is something we did in Trop Hop where we made postcards. But there's nothing nicer than getting, like a text can feel so throwaway, important as they are at the moment. But to get actual something real in the post is really nice. So that's um, a nice thing from OnPost. But also more importantly, they their delivery teams are checking in on older people um, at least once a week to make sure they're okay and obviously the importance of human connection during this time um is very important and alone are an amazing um outfit that are really focusing on that as well so i think whilst this does affect the more vulnerable the majority of the population are trying their best to connect with them again and that is really something that is I think one of the main things that this has thrown up is the connection of community whereas so often you'd walk down your street and you wouldn't even say hello to people whereas now people are stopping with loads of social distance for full chats to me I'm literally like oh, okay how's it going and it's so I've, also, I've, been, I've been sending postcards and um random crap thank you very much okay well I will do that like it's just okay look I haven't been sending everyone postcards so my friends who are listening to this who haven't got a postcard appalls um I've just been doing it randomly to a couple of people um increasingly surreal postcards from uh that are obviously sent from Dublin but are masquerading as me traveling around the world right now uh, so that's been amusing me um, should probably do some work at some stage um, and finally uh, with reg- our you know this is a you know I think I was saying in one of the podcasts um, maybe last week I don't know whatever or maybe we were just talking about it Andrea that you know whatever you think about Leo Varadkar um, it is a good time for one's prime minister to be a doctor and uh, and the other thing that it's a good time for is for one's president to be a poet. It really is. Michael D. Uh, described the pandemic as the globalization of vulnerability, which like that in itself is so, like the vulnerability of everyone coming out is the people trying to connect with you on the street, is the like connection in any way possible. Um, but he has said that when we come out of it, um, we could end up with a much better version of the economy where people are at the centre of economic thinking. It's a case of where economic and monetary policy will be adjusted according to the needs of people rather than the whims of speculative movements. Um, so we're co- the talk has always has been a lot about, I suppose, the health crisis, but now we're starting to move into economic effect and the importance of people and putting people first, which is a good place for us all to go. But he also wrote a poem called take care and you know, you're actually a poet so maybe you should read it <laughs> well, that wasn't scheduled but I will do that right now okay so this is Michael D's poem take care not to be confused with the seminal Drake track of the same name <laughs> I think there was a big confusion about the two of those <clears throat> you never know you never know okay in the journey to the light the dark moments should not threaten belief requires that you hold steady bend if you will with the wind The tree is your teacher, roots at once more firm from experience in the soil made fragile. Your gentle dew will come and a stirring of power to go on towards the space of sharing. 
In the misery of the eye, in rage, it is easy to cry out against all others, but to weaken is to die in the misery of knowing the journey abandoned towards the sharing of human hope and cries is the loss of all we know of the divine reclaimed for our shared humanity. Hold firm, take care, come home together. Oh, so nice. So Pete Lunn is the founder and head of the ESRI's Behavioural Research Unit and the ESRI authored a report um, of which Pete was a part of called Using Behavioural Science to Help Fight the Coronavirus. Now obviously there's an awful lot of discussion right now about science, about medicine, about innovations, new discoveries, vaccines, treatment, uh, using initial er, drugs that are already existing that may be able to assist in this fast testing, all that kind of stuff. But a huge aspect of the science of, of this is the behavioural science aspect, which is what we want to talk about today. Um, so thanks so much for joining us, Pete. I know you're really busy um, crunching numbers there for, for the Department of Health. Uh, yeah, good, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, we've got our first behavioural study coming back and I'm literally just starting to look at the data. So yes, I'm very busy. And listen, when this outbreak began, um, when you were first hearing things about it, what kind of things was that sparking for you in terms of how relevant behavioural science was going to be in its containment? That's a good question. I, I think initially we, and I say we, we've a team of about eight behavioural scientists at the SRI um, that regularly study different aspects of behaviour for policy. We do a lot of studies and experiments for policy on people's behaviour. And initially, when we were looking at it, we could see that the public health advice that was coming out about hand washing and face touching and so on, um, that there would be relevant behavioural studies, that there would be studies of people's behaviour and what can increase hand washing, for example. But the more we started to look at the problem, the more we realised as well that a very important part of the public response to this crisis was going to be how strong was our collective action because all of the actions whether it's the simple stuff like hand washing or the more complicated stuff like you know what we're prepared to go out of our houses and do and who we're prepared to meet and how and so on all of our actions influence not just the likelihood that we ourselves contract the disease but also the likelihood that we pass it on for others. So that idea that we are all in this together because all of our behavior is going to affect the risks that each of us face, as soon as we realized that so much of the problem was of that nature, we realized that behavioral science was going to be a crucial part of the solution because behavioral scientists have studied these kind of collective action problems for several decades and the results are quite clear. And what are those kind of results? Like what kind of insights do, uh, does behavioural science offer into how people can actually um, harness those kind of collective actions? Well, the first thing to note is that what behavioural science tells you is that people can be remarkably selfless as opposed to selfish, that particularly in times of crisis, people really can pull together and will make sacrifices for the common good. And we are seeing that all around us now. Now, it's not everyone. Uh, there's a proportion of the population, and in most studies, it's usually measured at somewhere around 15% or so who tend to behave quite selfishly and don't pull for the common good unless they're kind of punished by the majority of us who do. 
that punishment doesn't have to be very strong. It can simply be sort of polite social disapproval. Um, but it's generally the case that most of us will make sacrifices for the common good. Some won't uh, unless they're cajoled into doing it and unless they suffer the disapproval of the rest of us. So the first thing is there is no reason to have a crisis about the sort of awfulness of human nature here, quite the reverse, actually. What's remarkable is how much we can pull together during a crisis. That's really, really encouraging. And I think as well that a lot of people are... um thinking about this weird conditioning period that Ireland has had with uh, a lot of like grassroots volunteerism and activism over the last five years that seems to have placed uh, a greater importance on our col- the, the, the ideals of a collective in a society. Do you think that's relevant? I certainly do. I think in Ireland we are lucky actually because I think we have, first of all, a small country, which I think really helps uh, when you face a collective action problem like this. But we also have a very strong sense of collective identity and quite strong cohesion. So one simple example of that is that although it often doesn't feel like it given the general election we've just had, actually we have less political polarisation. We have quite a centrist political system compared to many other countries. And I think one of the results of this, as well as a sort of strong sense of history and national identity, although many countries would argue they have that, we have a pretty cohesive society and pretty strong national identity. And I think that's a huge help at times like this. So there are behavioural science findings that will tell you that the stronger the identity of a group, the better it is at responding to collective action problems. So more people will do what's good for everybody else, the stronger the group identity. There are two other things that are really important to how well people solve collective action problems. One of them I've already mentioned is that element of social disapproval, that you have to have a degree of punishment there in order to have highly cooperative behaviour. But the one other thing you have to have is you have to have a clearly articulated strategy where everybody communicates with everyone else and says what we all need to do for the betterment of all of us, what is good for all here, is this behaviour. And if everyone can see that there is a particular behaviour that is for the common good and that benefits everybody, then they're more likely to do it. So it's those three things. It's the strength of collective identity, it's having a degree of disapproval, and it is having a clearly articulated strategy of why there are certain behaviours that are best for all. That's interesting on the strategy point, because I think um, one of the curiosities of this crisis is that time has segmented a little bit in, in that that you hear these things about, oh, we're three weeks behind Italy or the US is two weeks behind this or whatever. And and we're kind of seeing versions of, of our national future uh, as things pan out in other countries who are facing different levels of the crisis at different times. But one of the aspects of that is um, how countries have responded in different ways in the beginning. I'm thinking particularly uh, the UK and the US. And it does seem to me that there is a real kind of head spinning aspect to their responses. Uh, You know, that the population um, is is quite confused at the start. Containment was kind of skipped over and then more draconian severe measures were introduced where it feels like in Ireland um, we've been lucky in some sense in that there has been an easing in of restrictions to kind of almost condition us to uh, get ready for the next step and normalise what is the extraordinary. 
I think everything you've just said there is absolutely spot on. And I have a kind of pet explanation for this that I can't prove, but from talking to other people in the behavioral science community and from what I've seen um, come out of not just the behavioral science community, but the science community generally, um, I think based on that, I have a kind of pet explanation for this. I mean, I think one of the big problems that the US and the UK has had is that at the moment it has political leadership that does not see eye to eye with scientists generally. So if you go back to what I was saying about trying to solve the collective action problem, it's important that there is a coherent articulated strategy that everybody can buy into and everyone can see why it's best for all. That is much easier to do if the relationship between your scientific community and your politicians is strong and good. Now, we are very fortunate throughout this crisis, and to some extent, I'm, I'm seeing a bit of that on the inside. I, you know, I'm doing some work with the Department of Health, but watching it whether on the media or what I hear from within the system working as an ESRI researcher, we have a very strong sense of coherence and understanding between our politicians and our scientists, which is allowing us to give clear guidance and to pull together. In the UK and the US, that simply isn't true. The instincts of kind of right-wing populist politicians are often to be very distrustful of scientists. And one of the great problems for the coordination and communication between the scientific community and those governments in the UK and the US is that, to be honest, most scientists, from a values and politics point of view, tend to be liberals. You know, they tend to be people who have quite liberal attitudes. That's partly to do with the nature of the work that they do. It's partly to do with university life. You know, there may be many other reasons for it as well, but one of the things it means is that they find it harder to get on with populist and right-wing politicians. And I think one of the problems that we've seen in the UK and the US is there's a disjunction between the scientific community and the politicians, and it's made it much harder for them to deal with the crisis. Mm. How do you think that cultural behaviours uh, fit into this? Because you're talking about um, how collective action and response is rooted in group identity. Yet it can be very difficult to talk about that without generalising, without stereotyping, without saying, oh, well, when there was a lockdown initially, initially everyone just kept hanging out and having aperitivo and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Or, um, you know, uh, Americans are lining up at gun shops because they're scared all the time and, and their country is a climate of fear and that's how they behave. Like, how do cultural behaviours um, change uh, the, the, the behavioural science analysis and also the, the response? Because... I suppose when we think of collective actions and, and like you're saying there with regards to Ireland and all of its curiosities of being small, of being connected, um, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone type scenario. Uh, it can be difficult to talk about those things without really broad brushstrokes. So do you think cultural behaviours and differences may, make a difference? Yes, I think they do. But I think we're very inclined to exaggerate them. So because they are things that are easy to see and easy to understand and that like the language of everyday life is what groups people belong to, what their nationality is, what their background is, we're inclined generally to try to explain too much about people's behavior based on their background. Um, you know, we're inclined to attribute things to it that, you know, are just not as strong as our intuitions are telling us, which is one of the reasons why we have problems with stereotyping generally. And the social psychologists who study stereotyping will say this, that 
you know, the group identity and people's backgrounds are things that we seek explanation in. And of course, there's some truth in it. I mean, it is undeniable that um, people in America are more likely to go out and buy guns, whereas people in Ireland, it seems, are more likely to go out and buy bread um, you know, in response to a crisis situation. I mean, that, that's undeniable, and it's, it's probably not only about access to these items. It, it's also something that, that's cultural. So there are cultural differences, and there are some truths in some of the stereotypes on average. Um, but one of the things we've really got to watch out for here is we know at times of crisis when people are trying to pull together, they can become more suspicious of people who don't share their culture. So there's real danger that you get some kind of xenophobic response. And we've seen some of that around the world in isolated stories. I do think one has to be really careful with this. Uh, the news media, by its definition, reports extremes. So we've heard all the stories about people coughing and spitting at the guards. We've heard some of the stories about Chinese people being picked on and so on. But it really is important to understand that these are extremes. Uh, the very, very large majority of people I don't think are engaging in these behaviours. And certainly the data that we're seeing suggests that the very large majority are following the advice pretty closely. With regards to um, one of the main aspects of this right now in Ireland, which is the isolation, the self-isolation aspect, um, initially it's 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 very weird, uh, although a lot of people, I suppose myself included, do actually spend a lot of our time at home if you work from home. Um, and then you're kind of walking around people in the street or I even noticed myself holding my breath as I pass people, like all these crazy uh, reflexes that just happened without me even thinking but with the isolation bit like how can people cope with that over the course of months what does behavioral science teach us about that and and do we adapt really well or do we start to fray a little bit Um, a combination of the two so i need to be very careful here because the truth of the matter is that what is occurring here is unprecedented in the modern age so we genuinely do not know the answer to the question you're asking um, and i certainly don't but there are some principles there and there is some science that can help us so some of the things that we know are when you are feeling isolated uh, when you are physically isolated you need to do everything you can to maintain social contact so of course the internet is our friend here and the 4g network is our friend and if you are isolated then activating your social networks particularly if you go into full self-isolation because you're experiencing symptoms telling your friends and family that you're doing it encouraging them to contact you there is good evidence that these things help Uh, There's also good evidence that having a routine helps us to get through these uh, times, not only if you're fully isolated, but even the partial isolation. Having some routine helps. One of the reasons for that is it actually alters your time perception. Uh, The time actually goes more quickly if you have a routine where you're doing the same things each time, each day, and that will help us to get through this period, provided we can see there is some end to it. In general, We also know that people respond to crises and major shocks in their life by having quite sudden changes in mood that they really struggle with. So I suspect there's quite a lot of people who have quite low mood and are not as happy as they were a few weeks ago as a result of this crisis, but we then adapt. What then happens is we find ways to get around the situation and our mood rebounds to some extent. That's not me suggesting that we will be as happy in three weeks of isolation as we would be before this crisis um, erupted, almost certainly not, but we do tend to adapt back towards the level we were at beforehand. So there are likely to be adaptations, there are specific things that we can do. The other thing that's important is habit. 
Um, one of the things that uh, we know is that habits are these hugely efficient things that help us to concentrate on our work and on looking after our families and doing the things we want to do. Habits are things where we put decisions out of mind and essentially don't take them. And one of the things that a time like this makes us do is it actually makes us re-examine our habits and try to build up new ones. So there are some silver linings here. It is possible to build up some good habits, to get round to some things that maybe we could never get round to in our normal lives, and to try to find some things that are positive things that we can concentrate on and build on during this period. Um, in our household, we've started referring to this as the corona bounce, which is where we find the time to do things and try things and enjoy things that normally we don't get the chance to do, which can counterbalance some of the obviously negative things like missing our friends and missing our families and so on. Mm. There's definitely a lot of jigsaws being done at the moment uh, in Ireland. But um, just uh, finally, before you go, Pete, and this has been absolutely fascinating and I really appreciate you taking the time out because I know how busy you are. On a personal level for you, I mean, you were talking there about... um, you know, that that we don't actually know how this is going to impact, you know, millions of people or even a billion people who, uh, or more, two billion, uh, who, who are in isolation or who are locked down. Like on a personal level for you as a behavioural scientist, we can only imagine the number of studies and the knock-on random uh, impacts that this is going to have on human behaviour, even in the short term. How has it been for you analysing this, you know, from, from your kind of personal, professional, vocational level as a behavioural scientist? <laughs> to be honest, I think I'm very lucky uh, because it's been energising. Um, because I study behaviour and I've got the opportunity now to put studies into the field and to analyse data as I'm doing today and to watch what's going on, it's like living in a giant live laboratory. And the result of this is it's very energising for me, even though I'm having my own anxieties about my own family, and particularly my extended family who um, live in Britain. Um, so, sure, I've got some anxieties, but to have something to concentrate on that I'm so fascinated by and to be able to use the science that I know, um, I think I'm in a way very lucky because it's giving me the equivalent of a jigsaw to do, but the jigsaw matters um, and I'm enjoying trying to do it. So I think in that sense, uh, it's OK. There is a very long way to go um, in all of this. Uh, so how we are in several weeks or even a couple of months' time, uh, we may look back on this time and feel very, very differently uh, than we do now. So there's a long way to go and there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but my interest in it keeps me going, certainly. I guess that uh, shows the importance of purpose throughout this whole thing. Listen, Pete, thanks so much um, for for uh, having the chat. It's been really, really interesting and keep up the great work. And we really look forward to looking through that data uh, that you're working on at the moment. And uh, take care and hopefully we'll check back in with you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> thanks very much. You're welcome. Andrea, what is getting in the sea this week? Oh my God. I wish I had 10 C's for this to get into. Um, our Lord and Savior, uh, the one who's going to bring us through all this more than Leo, the Mary, the two Michaels is, I think I got that the wrong. The two anyway, Simons. Don't forget the, the two, two Simons. Simons. Sorry, the two Simons and Michael. Conor McGregor and his advice video to all the people who are on the front line, including our chief medical officer, um, whatever about their information that they have, the facts, whatever, Conor 
actually has the answers. He's got it all figured out and he is going to impart his advice onto these people through the medium of Instagram videos. Um, oh my God, it's just such a train wreck of a, like, I don't watch his shit usually. And do you know what? Credit where credit's due. He's a lot of followers that if he made a video that was enticing, uh, maybe the type of followers that he has to stay in, bish, bash, bosh, brilliant. However, the way the arrogance of the address that he almost had more of an insight into this than the chief medical officer and the leader of the country. Um, I just couldn't get over it. That was the first thing. And then just, oh, it was just the worst. But then also he put out, there was a tweet, no, an Instagram message, a private Instagram message to Pascal Donahue leaked that was like Connor saying, I'm going to spend 1 million euro on PPE uh, stuff. Obviously, you'd like to think that there's um, a good, um, a good, what would you call it? A good belief behind it that, and a good intention, thank you, myself, um, that he wants to help. Obviously, the issue is getting the production and the supply chain of the PPE pieces. You can't just buy them. Um, but And also, it was just happened to be leaked. And you're messaging Pascal Dunn, who is the Minister for Finance, like, it, that is not the correct chain of communication, Connor, A. But anyway, the whole thing is just an absolute car crash and it makes me squirm and it just makes me, oh, it just makes my skin crawl. And it just, I think, is so ego driven and it's just so about him rather than the collective spirit that's emerged from the country. And I think oh, it just can, it just all get in the sea. Yeah, I mean, I think arrogance and ego there are a big thing. There's lots of people uh, in, a, you know, in, in massively shocked by the amount of people who are, you know, uh, sort of self-assigned experts right now and know the best for the country and all that kind of stuff. And um, Mr. McGregor uh, addressed Ireland as my nation, mine, mine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, look, uh, McGregor isn't the only one who's uh, deciding that he knows best and uh, pointing out all these flaws that that are that uh that they can see because they've read a smattering of articles and have just decided uh, that they know best. But um, yeah, just absolutely not. It was demented. I watched it and for the first few seconds and then was like, I can't do this. And then went back and watched the whole thing. And Jesus, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, so thank you for that. In you go, into the in sea. You go. And like, now, you do hope that there is a good intention behind it. And I like, obviously there is, but just, it could have been done in so many better ways to really mobilize and not have to belittle the experts who are doing their absolute best on the front line. Anyway, I'm over it. Yeah, Goodbye. no, I think it just finally on that, like if your motivation for uh, quote unquote helping or rallying the troops seems to be more about asserting yourself, then you're going to actually have to examine your own leadership skills. And that doesn't go for Conor McGregor. It also goes for loads of people who are, um, you know, pouring out how they know best and how this is all about them being vindicated and all that kind of stuff. Cough, Paddy Cosgrave. Uh, on the internet, you know, it's like check your leadership skills, check the fact that this is about bringing all people together, check the fact that leadership is about listening to people 
uh, it's not just about imposing your own brilliant thoughts on something. Um, so, yeah. And that's why I think the people in charge at the moment have done such a great job because the, the game of politics is probably simmering in the background, but it's been put on the shelf for the moment. And I think that's good, commendable. Yeah. And don't worry, everyone, we will get back to slagging Fine Gael at some point. <laughs> don't you worry. But not um, for now. They're doing an absolute amazing job. Andrea, usually um, our uh, things to do or our fave bits are tend to be orientated around all of the flanoring and the um, general faffing about uh, different uh, towns and cities in Ireland that we do be doing at the weekend. But of course, these days we're living... Around- what are you doing there, Andrea? I feel like you're walking around your kitchen or something. <laughs> oh, I'm hearing you moving. Sorry. Okay. Um, but all, these these days, uh, everything that we're doing um, is uh, virtual uh, in terms of our socialising. Um, we're not doing social distancing, we're doing physical distancing and we're very much socialising. So what are some things to do virtually this week that you've been looking at? I am absolutely exhausted from all my socialising I've been doing. I literally uh, need a night off at this stage. Uh, but what's upcoming? First up, Davina and Victoria of the Drag Variety are doing their Petty Little Things Live, which is their podcast, on Thursday at 9pm. And there are tickets required that you can get up on dragged.net. And they're doing like drinking games and the usual drag shenanigans. So that's Thursday, 9pm. On Saturday, obviously, there's a very high focus on drag as drag is life. But on Saturday, Cis Nights is taking place at 10 p.m. And that has performances from many of our fave drag queens. Um, and it's hosted on Anxiety's um, Instagram page. So it will be Instagram Live and they'll all be signing in and doing different performances. So that's a full night of performance there for you. Uh, Alison Spittle has the nightly co-video party where she picks a film and everyone watches along and tweets along and discusses whatever they Deal Magnolias was last night um, and a lot of people were seeing that for the first time which is bananas. Uh, myself and my friends tried to do uh, co- tried to watch a film together on a Google Hangout and it was very frustrating because we couldn't sync it up so thankfully mm. there is now um, an app for that on Chrome called Netflix Party where it starts it at the same time so you're not all having kind of out of sync sense if you want to talk about films, but you really shouldn't be talking about films, but we picked films that we'd already seen. So it didn't matter if we spoke about over Yeah, we, I tried to do a RuPaul, um, which this season is not good. Anyway, also, I was RuPaul trying to- is fracking in his back garden and he hasn't stopped since the coronavirus. But that- so I hear, yeah, RuPaul, V problematic at the moment. Oh, the I top, tried to, I, there's so many problems with RuPaul. Sorry, go listen, on. Let's look later. We can talk about this off air. But I tried to do a Netflix party, a viewing party on a, the latest RuPaul episode with some friends. And it was just a total car crash because some of us couldn't get things synced by some of us. I mean me. So I was just watching it normally on Netflix and other people were using Netflix party. And then. I think it probably took us about three hours to watch an episode and people, um, also me, probably were just kind of getting progressively more tipsy and pausing and like going for little breaks. So I find it hard, the L, um, (laughs) for watching. I I kind of enjoy the other stuff that's thrown up by it. It Like 
the gas bit is the pausing and the getting tipsy and the chats. It's not really what you're watching. Let's be honest. Yeah, true, true. Um, another thing is the no more hotels, litty titty tryouts, just rolls off the tongue, which is next Friday. So we are going, if you've ever wanted to perform at no more hotels, we are opening up the um, application, I suppose, um, that you can upload a video of doing whatever the performance you'd like to do at the night Upload onto Instagram, tag no more hotels and hashtag Liddy Titty Tryouts. And then whenever we get back to going on the sesh with no more hotels, you'll be performing, getting paid, bringing your pals for a dinner and a show and having a ball. Something to look forward to. Uh, that's on the No More Hotels Instagram. Uh, 2FM are doing Create, Don't Contaminate every day. So every day they throw up a different challenge and you respond, put it up in your bits and get more people involved, spreading the good message of creating and not contaminating other people. Um, and it's been fun and uh, I, def- I did the fashion one and it definitely felt good to move out of my loungewear even though it is Olivia Pope loungewear, it's not really, into something a bit more structured and glamorous for even 20 minutes. It's the little things that make you joyous. Um, Tara Stewart is doing her I'm Not a Mua um, makeup series. So she gets a Mua as a makeup artist. Oh, right. Well, Jesus, I'm so... (laughs) Okay, this is out of my zone. I do love Tara, though. Um, but every day she gets one of her friends or somebody interesting to come on. They do their makeup together, have a glass of wine, have the crack. And then so you pick, everyone picks a theme. So it could be like black or whatever. And they do their makeup accordingly. And they're getting very creative and very arty. And uh, yeah, bit of crack. Real, I'm into, I'm into that. Yeah, it's fun. Um, all of these are fun. Uh, the gastro gays are doing the co I don't know how they pronounce it, but it's COV cook club. So Cove cook club. Um, and that's a twice weekly digital cookbook and cookery club. Um, so pop onto their Instagram, uh, the scratch, um, are releasing their album. They were going to release it later and they're like, do you know what? We're just going to release it during this. They're going to be doing a live performance of the album. Um, and you can donate during the performance through PayPal or whatever. I, watched their St. Paddy's Day show and it was absolutely brilliant um, and obviously we're all reverting to our Irish vibes now as we're locked in um, but they're they're so good and it's a really good watch so uh, I'm excited to hear their new album and watch the performance um, also Trop Pop are doing their Creative Wednesdays which is something that we did that was every Wednesday we picked an artist or a theme and did nail art and then uploaded onto Instagram and that's kind of where the National Gallery saw what we were up to and that's how that partnership started so we're opening that up so anyone can get involved so we give the theme out on a Monday this week we did Kasama um, and then on Wednesday we ask people to just upload to their Instagram tag us and we're sharing it all out so loads of nail art is being created and you don't ha- like you don't have to be able to do nail art that's not the point obviously also there is uh, a series of digital online gigs which are to raise funds for childline uh, obviously um there is child abuse during a pandemic um so the series of gigs is to raise money for uh, to continue on the support system and there's gigs with Hosier, Danny O'Reilly Wild Youth, Codaline, Derma Kennedy, Picture This, and Gavin James. So obviously, if you have a vagina, go on, you are not able to support because <laughs> there's not a vagina to be seen. No, it's no. all male acts. 
Well, listen, Childline ISPCC are doing amazing work, but it is interesting to see that even a global pandemic cannot stop all male music lineups. And obviously um, there is... Best like, of luck to them. Those acts will get the most uh, attention, etc. And it's all in a good nature of trying to raise as much money for, the, for Childline, but it still is quite interesting. Yes. Uh, any other any other little tips for us to keep busy this week for us to keep uh, amused obviously these are dark miserable fucking times um, but of course um, our keeping our mental health uh, buoyed is uh, is a really really good idea for our broader health so anything else well if you don't want to tune into stuff that other people are doing and just want to keep it in your friends maybe look at planning a quiz with your friends on Google Hangouts or House Party um, which are two video apps for anyone who doesn't know and the way we we did a quiz and basically the quiz master asked all the questions on the video and you texted uh their through to their whatsapp and then they added all the scores up so that was how we technically did it worked well also you can do some cook-alongs our friend is a very good chef so he's given us a list of ingredients and a group of us are all going to cook the same food together while having some wine and then eat it together so that's like that's, that's fun, yeah. Something to put in your diary. Like that's a, oh, something to do at six o'clock tonight. Um, and then watching a movie together, which we talked about on Netflix party. But I think it's just for me anyway, the way I am doing it is having something, if it's either I'm going to have my dinner at six or I'm going to do something at six and then winding down for the night so that there is a structure and something, the day isn't just never ending there's something to finish it off each night. So putting in a call with someone or reading your book or whatever, but just that you have a finale activity of the day is my top tip. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. That's kind of what I've been doing as well. I've just been like getting up, having, looking at the news, taking in the news and the latest updates and all that kind of stuff, having coffee and breakfast, then going for a little bit of a walk. If, you know, if there's no one around, basically then doing some work, then having lunch. I mean, obviously there's a lot of eating throughout all of our days at the moment. And then, you know, reading or doing a jigsaw or something. And yeah, then you're dead right. Have your evening time is like, I actually can't take, like there was so, I don't know. I can't take like having two or three like Zoom calls or stuff like that in an evening. I'm just having like one thing, like either I have a big long chat with my mom or I have a Zoom call with a couple of friends. Um, I find it quite stressful, like having uh, loads of people on a call. I'm the total opposite. I'm give me all the calls, all the Zooms, put 10 people in that Google Hangout and let's get the party started. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> where we're on. That's another, another little difference between us. Although now you're talking about the table, the table quiz or quiz or whatever, maybe we should start looking into doing a little live United Ireland quiz. Oh my God, they're so much fun, 100%. And especially because we're political, one of the rounds in our political round, <laughs> the first question was, what is the name of Leo Varadkar's boyfriend? I was like, this is a gas. Matt. Yeah, but like, that's not politics. And then the next one was like, uh, Mary Lou went on to the leaders debate um, and wore what piece of fashion uh, that was maybe controversial as a scarf? Bur- it's like, yeah. Burberry scarf, Burberry yeah. scarf. But they're not political questions. <laughs> So it was gas. Well, it's 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 general knowledge in the political sphere. I think that's okay. Yeah, there were there was other gas ones, but yeah, quizzes are fun. Let's do a quiz. Deal. Let's do let's deal. Deal. We'll figure that one out. Now, finally, of course, we always end United Ireland with something to put you in good spirits and a bit of a bop. Andrea, what is this week's tuna chicken roll? This week's tuna chicken roll to play us out today is 
Imagine by Gal Gadot and all her celebrity friends. <laughs> 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 as if state. Uh, it actually is a very timely song and very disco slinky required for dancing around your kitchen. Um, it is Roisin Murphy and Murphy's Law. So very poignant um, lyrics in there, but also some Whopper disco, our favourite thing. Brill. Listen, Andrea, I miss you loads. I miss you too. Um, thanks to everybody for listening in and for continuing to listen to the pod. Please support us on Patreon um, because we if need to... If you can. If you can. We know people are really stretched right now uh, and so are we. And um, But like we, it would be great to get um, a bit of a boost so that we could uh, continue to kind of um, pay our producer and all that kind of stuff in this time. Obviously, everybody is, is experiencing economic turmoil. And uh, hopefully in a bonus podcast this week, um, Andrea is going to be running through what that's like for a small business owner. Aren't you, Andrea? Yeah. Get ready for tears. <laughs> Only joking. Listen, I'll find the positive by the end. I've been Una. I've been Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Oh my God. We need to get in. Let's do that again. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> okay. We'll get oh better at that by next week. Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon. Bye. I feel my story is still untold. But I'll make my own happy ending. I guess I'd rather be alone than make it do a mending. I think maybe I've outgrown this whole town I see you almost every day And every time I turn around Our love is stuck on replay
Keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on.